what we now call 10 days began with this uh, word uh, from the Lord. It was based on Revelation chapter 18. And um, in 2004, I just heard God say, Babylon refuses to mourn, but my people will mourn before I return. Um, so this word mourning is central to the 10 days vision. So I like to call it the ugly duckling because let's be honest, who wants to uh, have a calling that's based around the word mourning or who wants to enter into something that's basically a, an invitation to mourning. Um, mourning is not a, a particularly attractive word. Um, it evokes things like funerals, black suits, uh, black dresses, wailing women, sackcloth and ashes. Um, I think a lot of us instinctively recoil from the idea of mourning. Um, and in a similar way, we long for joy, happiness, gladness, uh, good times. Um, I've had a number of conversations over the years with leaders, especially early on, uh, where I would cast vision for what I felt like God wanted to do through 10 days. And they would be like, this whole thing is great. I love the unity. I love, um, you know, uh, so many elements of this, but could we get rid of the mourning part? Um, could we get rid of it? Uh, you know, as a, someone who's stewarding something from God, I just kind of was like, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, we can't just change it. This is, I think, what God wants. So this has led me into just a, um, a deeper search for what is God after when he said mourn? I, I just felt like there's got to be something he's after. And um, what I'm about to present here is what I think the Lord is really after when he says, my people will mourn. I think these are some of the elements that God is looking to see from us. This is why he's calling us to mourn. This is what it means to mourn, I think, in a biblical sense. So first of all, the thing you should know about mourning is it's about what you don't have. We mourn because we've lost something or someone that we need or love. We mourn because we don't have something that we need desperately or love greatly. We mourn because of a great loss, because of absence, or because of great suffering, right? So mourning is about what we don't have or what we've lost. But mourning um, during 10 days, is it's about those things, but it's not a mourning without hope. Rather, it's a time to recognize what we're missing and what we've lost so that we can receive it. That's the cool part, right? So it's mourning in hope of receiving what is lost. It's an ironclad truth in the kingdom that until we recognize what we've lost, what we lack, and what's missing, we won't ask for it and therefore we won't receive it. So recognizing our poverty paradoxically is the first step towards becoming spiritually wealthy. So it's a paradox, but by entering into mourning, recognizing what we've lost and what we lack, we actually position ourselves to receive joy. It's amazing. I like to say joy comes in the morning. So we're not mourning because we like mourning. We're entering into our lack and our loss. We're acknowledging it because we love joy. This is why Jesus said, um, blessed are those who mourn now, for they will be comforted. By entering into what we don't have, our lack, our poverty now, 
we're actually positioning ourselves to receive spiritual riches, um, both now in this age and then in fullness um, in eternal life with the Lord. Mourning is about humility. Mourning is about humility. So if, if I had to choose one other word um, other than mourning, I would choose the word humble or humility. Now, if you are interested in being opposed by God and you want to know how to make that happen, it's not hard. Um, you just act in pride. Scripture says that God opposes the proud. So every time we are acting or behaving in pride, we are garnering this resistance, this opposition from God. But on the contrary, if you want to know how to receive grace from God, it's also easy. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's amazing. So if we could just figure out a way to live in humility, we could learn how to be constantly receiving the grace of God. So during 10 days, we humble ourselves in a variety of ways. Fasting, right? Fasting is a way to physically enter into humility. Prayer and worship are expressions of humility. When we pray, um, we're, we're acknowledging our need of God. When we worship God, we're exalting him and we're humbling ourselves before him. Confession of sin, repentance. We're, we're admitting what we've done wrong and we're turning in the right direction. These are ways of humbling ourselves. How hard is it to change your mind? Think about that when you're talking to someone to say, oh, I, I'm wrong. It's humbling, isn't it? But it's doing that with God and with one another that releases the grace of God. Um, uniting with other believers is humbling because it expresses our need that we're not sufficient in ourselves, but we need each other. So that attracts the grace of God. And then stopping our normal activity, stopping our busyness, stopping our work for 10 days is a way of humbling ourselves. I don't know about you, that might be the hardest thing to do because uh, many of us are so busy and we love working. We love doing things ourselves, but God is saying, humble yourself. Stop your work and let me show you what I can do. So these are all ways that we humble ourselves. When we humble ourselves as individuals, it attracts the grace of God on our personal life. But can you imagine a whole city humbling themselves before God? That is going to attract the grace of God. It's going to create like a low pressure system over that city. that's going to bring the reign of God on that city and affect that region corporately. Uh, this isn't rocket science. It's just, do we believe the scripture? And the scripture said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So mourning is entering into humility, which Babylon refuses to do, but which God's people are going to do as never before, before the Lord's return. All right, I'm going to use another ang angle of mourning. We're just going to look at mourning from a variety of angles. And mourning is about this concept of desire. Desire is such an interesting idea because it, it really dictates everything we do. We have all these different desires within us. Some are good, some are bad. But if you think about it, desire is kind of like what steers you into what's next. Desire is key to answered prayer. In John 15, seven, Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you desire, and it will be done for you. So when inviting the people of God to mourn, we are calling for desire in the church 
to be awakened, specifically desire for Jesus and for the things of God. As we humble ourselves by setting aside normal activity, meditating on his words, doing the John 15 thing, remaining in him and letting his words remain in us, what's going to happen is in that context, our heart's going to begin to bring forth holy desires. And this is God's process of answering prayer. Those desires are going to be heard by heaven and the Father is going to answer them. But think about desire. Part of desire is you don't have the fulfillment yet right? So it's this mourning. It's a lack. It's a loss. When you're experiencing desire, you're experiencing lack and loss. But experiencing desire is what paves the way for the fulfillment of desire. So 10 days is about entering into that John 15, 7 reality in a special way where we remain in Jesus and his words remain in us And we're filled with these incredible desires, this mourning, this longing for God and for the things of God. And then it leads to answered prayer. God answers and hears us. That's what what I'm saying. Joy comes in the morning. In humility is where grace comes. In desire is where fulfillment comes. All of these things um, are a negative, but it leads to a positive if you will. It's a, it's a dark place that leads to the light coming forth. And so by entering into these things voluntarily, we can position ourselves to receive all of these good gifts from God. So there are um, three aspects to this morning um, that we enter into during 10 days. And this is a little bit like our prayer focus. There are three aspects to it. There's a personal side, There's what I would call an intercessory side where we're praying uh, for things out there. And then there's an element that's related to the return of the Lord. And all of these elements, all of these three aspects, personal, intercessory, um, and the Lord's return, all of these are are tied into um, this broader context of what God is doing in the earth right now. He is preparing the earth. We are in this in-between period between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. And he is moving us towards um, his glorious coming where he is going to rend the heavens. He's gonna come down and he is going to redeem us out of every nation. And he is going to rule and reign and we are gonna rule and reign with him. So we are looking forward to that. And 10 days is totally framed um, as a way of of anticipating and leading up to um, Jesus's coming, getting ready for it. Um, so first thing I want to focus on is, is this idea of repentance. These are all ways of mourning. These are all ways of longing, humbling ourselves, um, desiring God. And the first one is repentance. So what does repentance mean? I don't know about you, but when I used to think about repentance, I would think about confession. I would think about, um, telling all of my worst sins and, Oh God, I'm so sorry. And, um, you know, just, t- and so when I would think about, um, what would it look like to repent for 10 days? I was thinking about, you know, almost like airing all my sins and beating myself up and, and all of these things. And I, I don't think that's what real repentance is. I don't think that's what real repentance is. And, and I've tried that before and I just found that didn't work so well. Uh, what I think real repentance is, it does include confession. 
you know, if we're aware of sins, we need to confess them to God, confess them to other believers, and turn away from them. But I think real repentance, um, which in Greek means changing our mind, is about um, the transforming of our mind. It's about not just turning away from sin, but turning towards God and then having our mind renewed and changed and transformed so that we become a different person and we live a transformed life. So that's what we want to see happen during 10 days. We want to see a time of personal repentance where you stop agreeing with lies of the enemy and you begin to agree with God's word, with God's promises, with what God says. You begin to have your mind renewed. Um, in order to enter into repentance, we don't have to beat ourselves up over every failed, every perceived failing. We don't have to enter into this intense introspection. But if we'll simply just come to the Lord and wait on Him and allow Him to be the focus of our mind and our heart, He'll lead us into repentance and we can just follow Him. Um, Isaiah 30, 15 says, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. So to me, this is real repentance. It's so simple. It frees us from legalistic pitfalls of, of extremes on either side, either saying, well, I don't have to repent of anything or wanting to you know, just beat yourself up horribly. Um, this is a middle pathway through those extremes um, that can just allow us to enter into communion with God and just receive things from Him and be transformed in our mind. One of the most important areas of repentance that I can think of um, is related to broken relationships in the body of Christ. Um, you know, the scripture says, how can you claim to love God whom you've not seen if you don't love your brother who you have seen? And I know from personal experience and you know, years of history and ministry that this is a painful reality that anyone who's been a believer for any length of time has experienced. 10 days is not just about prayer and worship. It's also about the restoring of right relationships uh, between people and groups. And so that needs to be a major focus of our repentance during 10 days. You know, remember Jesus says, if you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right with the brother. And so that's something we really want to emphasize during the 10 days. That's part of personal repentance is getting right with others in our life that we may have wronged or may have wronged us. Ultimately, the personal transformation of individuals in the body of Christ is the foundation on which everything else must be built. So this personal element is so key. It's so critical. If we want to look like Jesus corporately, it's going to involve a lot of us being personally changed and transformed, having our very minds rewired to think, look, and act like Jesus um, and become the church that God wants us to be. I'm just gonna say on a personal note, I have seen so many lives changed through this, just the simplicity of doing 10 days. 10 days is not a magic bullet. Um, you can't just do 10 days and then do nothing else for the rest of the year, but it is a catalytic season for your spiritual life to be renewed. And then coming out of that, I mean, you know, the potential is just limitless, but this is a time where we can just see things that have held people down for generations even, for their whole life, be broken off of them, see them come into a new fullness of God, 
see them get a sense of who they are in Christ, and then just begin to flourish. And then the beautiful thing is this is a rhythm every year of personal revival and renewal um, that can take people deeper and deeper and deeper in their relationship with God um, and with other believers. All right, so 10 days is a time to see personal mourning. And the word I'd use there is, is um, repentance. Repentance, personal mourning, transformation, transform lives. But it's also a time to affect things outside of ourselves. So prayer changes us, but prayer also changes the world. Daniel chapter 9 is an incredible biblical passage where we see Daniel model intercessory mourning. So intercessory means doing, uh, to intercede means to uh, be a go-between for someone else. Someone who can't do something for themselves, but you're becoming a go-between. And when intercessory prayer has to do with using prayer to be a go-between with God for someone else. And intercessory mourning is like intercessory prayer, but it's using this idea of mourning as, as a way to intercede with God and become a go-between. And in Daniel 9, um, he reads the scroll of Jeremiah and he sees that the time has come for the Israelites to leave Babylon. The 70 years has been fulfilled and that Jer Jeremiah's prophecy is about to come to pass. And what I find here so interesting is that Daniel doesn't just say, hey, it's written, therefore it's done, and, and just step away, right? He, his conception of the sovereignty of God um, does not make him passive, but rather he recognizes that he has a role to play in the fulfillment of God's promise. And he enters into this day of fasting and repentance and prayer and mourning. It says it was a day of mourning and lament where he's lamenting before God um, what's happened to his people, what's happened to Israel, um, confessing their sins corporately and asking God to, even though they don't deserve it, to restore them back to the promised land. And at the end of that time, in, indeed, Israel is released through Daniel's prayer, through the promise of Jeremiah, but through Daniel's prayer. Daniel was not passive. We need to repent of a passive, prayerless lifestyle that just says, oh, well, God said it, it's going to happen without coming into agreement with what God has said, without partnering with God um, in an intercessory way, without entering into mourning and allowing our hearts to feel the lack and the loss um, because of the unfulfilled promises of God. To put it another way, you have a place of significance in the kingdom of God. You have a role to play in the fulfilling of God's promises, the role of an intercessor. God wants you to be a go-between between him and sinful humanity, between him and the church, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, to uh, agree with his promises. And through that agreement, God is going to bring fulfillment to those promises. So we have a role to play during 10 days of um, intercession, intercessory prayer or intercessory mourning. Now, there are four promises that are really important in the scriptures that we really focus on during this time. Um, we, we focus on um, the salvation of the nations, God's plan to redeem people to himself from every tribe, every language, every tongue, every people. Um, Matthew 24, 14 says, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole earth 
as a testimony to every ethnic group or every nation, and then the end will come. So during 10 days, we are interceding for that. We are laying hold of that promise, and we are agreeing with God and praying for the Father to thrust forth laborers to complete that harvest. Did you know there are over 2 billion people in the world who have never heard the name of Jesus? And it's through prayer and agreement with God. It's through letting the weight of that loss and that lack affect our hearts that we are going to see God release laborers into that harvest. Promise number two that we really focus on is the unity of the body of Christ. Uh, John 17, 23 says, let them be one. Let my followers, Jesus praying, let my followers be one just as we, as the Father and the Son are one, that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them just as you love me. So Jesus's prayer here is for the supernatural, amazing, incredible, unprecedented unity of his followers. As we look at the church, we still see many divisions. And we, I believe this answer, this, this prayer is unfulfilled. As we allow our hearts to experience the lack and the loss of unity um, and enter into a mourning for that, but mourning with faith, I believe we're going to see the Father begin to answer Jesus' prayer in a greater way. Um, I think a lot of times, rather than enter into mourning, we just kind of gloss over things. <laughs> We just got to let it go. We just accept the status quo. And God is saying, no, don't accept the status quo. Join me um, in longing and desiring the things that I desire. Um, we also, during 10 days, focus on praying for um, more of the Holy Spirit, praying for a global outpouring of the Holy Spirit out of Joel 2.28. And then finally, we also are really focused on praying for the salvation of Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, part of God's plan is not only for the nations, but also for the first tribe that he called uh, the Jewish people. We read about that in Romans 11, um, 12 and 15, where Paul says, if their loss means riches for the nations, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? For there, Israel's rejection is the reconc if their if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So we see this beautiful purpose of God um, before the Lord returns to bring um, his original tribe that he called out um, through Father Abraham back to himself. And so we also love to enter into prayer for them during these 10 days until we see breakthroughs. So these are four incredible promises in the scripture. Um, all the nations will hear the gospel. Um, that there'll be people from every tribe, tongue, every nation before the throne of God. There'll be supernatural unity in the church, unprecedented unity, John 17, oneness and unity, um, that we'll see an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit before the Lord returns, and that there's going to be widespread salvation among the Jewish people. These are four big promises that we can lay hold of and, and just... Um, enter into times of intercession, humbling ourselves, allowing our hearts to feel the loss and the lack of these things, but then looking to God to bring fulfillment in response to our prayers and our humility. All right, final major theme for 10 days. What do we mean by mourning? What does it mean to mourn? Is, is discussed in Matthew 9, 15. And Jesus says, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? 
But the days are coming when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and they will fast. So in this passage, while Jesus is still on earth, he envisions a future time when he's no longer physically present with the disciples. Because of his absence and their love and longing for him, they will enter into fasting and mourning. So 10 days is an opportunity to enter into the reality that Jesus describes in Matthew 9, 15. Mourning for the bridegroom. Um, There's a lot of different opinions in the body of Christ on the return of the Lord, but I think what everyone can agree on is that Jesus is coming back. He is returning. He's coming to judge the living and the dead, as the Apostles' Creed says. I think that we can also all agree on the following. We are to ask for his return. God the Father wants us to ask for the Lord to return. Have you ever considered that when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that we are really praying the moment when that's going to happen in fullness is when the Lord returns. We can see breakthroughs now. We can see the kingdom breaking in now. Um, but that it's, it's still in that already not yet reality. But the, the now, the fullness of that is coming when the Lord returns. The final prayer in the Bible, the last prayer in the whole book is this. Come, Lord Jesus. This is not a dinner prayer. Um, come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. But it is a prayer for the return of Jesus back to the earth, the second coming. And it's a prayer that it says the spirit and the bride, both God, the Holy Spirit, and the bride of Christ has been prepared are praying. Come, Lord Jesus. We've already talked about how desire is related to answer prayer. And we are told to eagerly desire the Lord's return. Praying for Christ's return is less about words, like magic words, and it's more about the posture of our heart. It's more about being transformed on the inside and uh, abiding in him, his words abiding in us, and having our desires transformed than it is about praying, oh, Lord, return, please come back, please come back, over and over. Like That's vain repetition, but when our desires are truly changed, then that longing gets expressed in language. Um, That is a beautiful prayer. We're told uh, to expect the bride of Christ to be incredibly beautiful, perfect uh, before the Lord returns. And I want to argue and, and, and just share that a significant part of the bride's beauty is going to be her single-hearted devotion and desire for her husband. There's an appropriate level. I just want to say there's an appropriate level of longing for desire heart preparation for the return of the Lord. There's an appropriate level, what heaven would call appropriate. And I think many of us are content with pursuing our worldly interests, uh, having our focus on earthly things, almost saying to the Lord, you know what? Yeah, maybe put it off a few years. There's still things I wanna accomplish here. There's, I'm still happy here. Um, and God is saying, nope, that, that level of desire and heart preparation, longing for my coming is not appropriate. It's not the right amount yet. We need to repent of a wrong heart attitude towards the Lord. It is almost telling him, stay away and instead embrace a paradigm where our hearts are filled with longing for his coming every day. Would you just imagine if you were um, asking someone to marry you 
and uh, you know, you said to them, you know, hey, I love you. I want to give my whole life to you. I want to be committed to you for the rest of our lives. Like, will you marry me? And this person, you know, responded back to you. Um, you know what? I like you too, and I do want to be in a relationship. But could we just put it off? You know, five or ten years. There's still things I want to accomplish. Still things I want to do. I, I can just tell you right now, that marriage is probably never going to happen. And yet, that's what some of us are doing with the Lord. So I think this element, developing a heart of longing or mourning for the bridegroom, is probably the most important part of ten days. I think this is probably the most important part. Ten days is an opportunity to enter into mourning for the bridegroom and to connect at a heart level with the absence of Jesus. An absence that allows sin, death, and hell to continue to influence the earth. Just think about that. All of our problems, <laughs> and there are many, would be solved by the return of Jesus. Ten days is an opportunity to be part of a global prayer meeting. Just think about that. A global cry from all over the globe of like-hearted believers who are turning their hearts to the Lord in a special way and crying out together with one voice through their actions, through this extravagant offering of prayer, and through their words from their hearts just saying, Come, Lord Jesus, we desire you and no one else. Would you come? Lord Jesus. That is the purpose of 10 days, and that is the focus in prayer of 10 days. It's a time to be personally renewed, personally transformed, enter into personal repentance. It's a time to pray for the incredible promises of God to be fulfilled, and it's a time to long for the return of Jesus. And I think that is what it means to mourn. I think that is the mourning that the Lord is looking for when he said, Babylon refuses to mourn, but my people will mourn before I return. It's this kind of mourning that God is looking to see.